This is Nick Ambrillaro, host of Tiger Talk, a student media podcast based on news for the LSU and Baton Rouge area. With us today is Reed Darcy, second time guest on the podcast. He helped launch this over the summertime with Nick Fruin, former host. Uh, Reed, how are you doing today? Hey, Nick. What's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. So this past weekend, LSU unfortunately lost to Auburn 24-19. Your main story for the game had a really good poetic moment in it, and I want you to, you know, start the podcast off with that. So deep in the second quarter, fourth and two at LSU's 24, Bo Nix takes a shotgun snap. Man, I don't know what happened to Bo Nix, man. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. Like, it must have been when he got benched or something. He must have, something must have just, like, clicked in his head where he just – he played out of his mind. He played absolute, absolutely the game of his life, and nobody saw it coming. We were expecting T.J. Finley to start um, coming in, and he got, I think, one or two series in um, when they benched Bo Nix. I don't know if that was planned or not. But they brought Bo Nix back in, and, and it worked. You know, he was he was awesome um, the whole game. Nobody could tackle him. The LSU front seven, um, they hurried him six times, but they ultimately never never sacked him, which is um, pretty unbelievable considering that they entered the game leading the nation in sacks. Yeah. 18 um, total sacks. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he was making them look silly out there, and nobody really has an explanation for how that happened. It just did. And the whole game turned on that fourth and two touchdown. You know, if if they don't convert right there, then LSU has the ball with a few minutes left in the half, and they have a chance to go down the field and make it um, twenty to nothing. I think was it? It was thirteen to zero at yeah, that point. Thirteen so, to zero at that point. Yeah, so they had a chance to go up three scores, and instead it was thirteen to seven heading into halftime. So that that's when the whole game flipped. Yeah, I mean, on that one specific play, he's just dancing around. And he somehow miraculously finds. He broke five tackles. Yeah. Broke five tackles and somehow found his receiver open in the end zone, and fired it to him before, like the moment before he was brought down by four defenders. Right. I mean, the craziest play. thing is, uh, before halftime, they got the ball back, and on again on a fourth and two, he scrambles away, gets the ball somehow to a receiver, and they end up kicking a field goal right before halftime mm-hmm. to make it thirteen ten. Mm-hmm. So, switching to the second half especially after those couple moments of Auburn where they caught back into the game, it felt that the stadium, the energy was gone. That was my first real SEC LSU game. How was it? Well, I mean, I was up in the student section. Uh That was insane, just how much energy there was Mm -hmm. up to that point. You're a Seattle guy, huh? It's it's a little bit different down here. (laughs) It's a little bit different down here. haven't seen much football down in the South, so it's a big change, honestly. but to see all that energy just be taken away on these plays and then for LSU to come out and I, I believe in the first drive they ended up kicking a field goal. Next Auburn drive they ended up blocking a field goal and then mm-hmm. momentum shift there. But the rest of that third and fourth quarter, three points. Mm-hmm. So the offensive shortcomings, what's kind of going on with that? It was, it was a story of missed opportunities, I think. They had a lot of chances to go up big, um, but instead they either settled for field goals or got pushed out of field goal range. There was one um, chance, I think it was about eight minutes left in the second quarter, they were staring at a fourth and one from the four-yard line, okay? The play clock's running down, they call a timeout, right? And then they come back after the timeout, someone jumps off sides, right? So false start, five-out penalty, move back. 
they kicked the field goal, 13 nothing. So they had a chance to go up 17 nothing over 13 nothing. That's a huge difference, right? It would take a, a lot more for Auburn to come back from down 17 than it, than it would from down 13. And so if you just take that moment and one moment in the second half where they were, they were marching, they were in Auburn territory, and they had a holding call and a sack that pushed them out of field goal. I mean, it pushed them back into field I mean, you know, it was a tough field goal for Katie York, but he made it. It was just like missed opportunities. They, they had a chance. They had chances in the red zone to put the game away, but they didn't. Um, they, they didn't finish. And, you know, uh, you, you, can, you can try to explain away why, why they didn't, but ultimately they didn't, and, and that's how the game was lost. They let Auburn back in the game. Yeah, they did. I mean, you mentioned some of the timeouts, the costly ones, you know, taking the play clock all the way down to zero and just having to burn that timeout mm-hmm. just to miss. That's been, a, that's been a problem all year. Um, fans want them to go faster, want them to be um, more aggressive. They, they're sick of watching the play clock dwindle all the way down 5-4, um, 3-2-1, and, and that issue peaked on Saturday. They, they spent four out of the five timeouts that they used was to prevent a delay a game, which – um, which doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It can't happen. Right. And um, I guess it's not going to happen going forward. Um, they're probably going to fix it. Uh, but in the game against Auburn, it just can't happen, and it did. So, Right. You had them there. I mean, Coach O came out today, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, he takes the bearing of the loss, which, I mean, as a leader, you have to do that. But one of the things he talked about was the offensive line and the struggles there. I mean, right now, LSU is last in the SEC in rushing. Um Coach O talked about, you know, two of the linemen being from that national championship team, and he had higher expectations for the group as a whole. Um, so that aspect of the game is kind of missing. I know Ty Davis-Price, he's been used a lot more in the passing game as – I'm sorry, he's been used more as a pass blocker just to kind of help those guys out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the running game's kind of been absent the whole entire season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was surprised when Ogeron said that post game. He said – Going into the year, he expected um, a productive offensive line. He expected a good offensive line, and he said that's not what he got. Um, so I thought it was pretty noteworthy that he said at the end of the game that the offensive line has fallen short of my expectations. That, I thought that was pretty noteworthy. Um, I think it surprised everybody just how bad they've been. Uh, they returned four out of five starters, and of those four starters, um, two of them were in the national championship. They, they've been here for – a long time, Ed Ingram and Austin Deculus, and the the other two are veterans. So there's really no excuse for them to be this bad. And there's also no solving the problem anytime soon because there's no um, established talent behind them waiting waiting to take over. So we don't know what it's going to look like next year. Um, but the only way you can solve it is through recruiting. And so that's going to take um, two years at least. Um, so this is a deep-rooted problem that's not getting solved anytime soon, and it's it's a failure of recruiting and it's a failure of developing talent on the offensive line. So it's a crucial element for the team if if you want to run the ball, if you want to protect the quarterback, which they haven't been able to do all season. And Max Johnson hasn't been comfortable in the pocket all season, and so it all comes back to the offensive line, and it's a failure of recruiting and developing talent there. Yeah, I mean, Max has a talent. He, I mean, this is what his seventh or eighth start. Max has been good. Yeah, Max has been good. He, so, he gets he gets a bad rap, but I, I think he's been good, given the circumstances. Given the circumstances, yeah, he's not the problem. 
I mean, is there any optimism for this season going forward? Well, if you you look ahead, I was looking at the schedule. Um, there's some pretty daunting games, you know, staring down at you. And with the five SEC games left, are you is LSU going to be favored in any of them? I, I don't think so. It's a tough one there. Um, I, I don't think so. So, you know, you got Florida, Bama, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Texas A&M. Maybe your favorite against A&M, maybe. Um, but, again, you know, are you going to lose all five of those games or are you going to lose four of those games, you know? Um, are you going to end the season with four wins or end the season with five wins? Either way, it's an unmitigated disaster for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and it's just unbelievable considering where LSU was two years ago and where they expect it to be in 2021 heading into 2022 completely different and it's insane how fast things have changed yeah well i mean even before we get to that part of the sec we even have kentucky upcoming this weekend yes and they just knocked off florida um big uh, it's 23 to 10 game against florida i think so i think i think that's the score yeah pretty close i mean too many numbers out there mm -hmm. but i mean kentucky's ranked 16th now i mean last time lsu even played kentucky was in 2014 and that was here in baton rouge uh, they ended up winning that game 41 to 3, but there isn't a lot of history, especially with this team, this coaching staff, even going to Lexington. The last time that happened was with Les Miles back in 2007 when they actually won that national championship that year. But they ended up losing in Lexington 43 to 37 in triple mm -hmm. overtime. So there's not a lot of history there, but Kentucky's in a much different place from where they were in 2014. It's a much better program, much, much more established program and much more respected program around the SEC, and nobody's taking them lightly. I was really impressed by them last weekend. I was high on Florida after watching um, how they played Bama, um, and for Kentucky to just come in and, and beat them like the way they did, I was pretty impressed. So it, it's going to be a real tough game for LSU on Saturday, on the road against an opponent they're unfamiliar with. Um, they're, they're not favored. I think they're three-point underdogs right now. That might, that might go go higher as the week goes on um but yeah tough game tough game yeah I mean Kentucky has a very strong rushing attack right now I mean the defensive line they did end up losing Anthony a few weeks ago mm -hmm. so yeah I mean are they still holding a strong with the run game there defensive line I'm I'm confident that they're going to step up I mean Bo Nix embarrassed them on Saturday I'm confident that they're going to bounce back and that um, they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder because um, they're they're really good. They're they're the, one of the lone bright spots of the team, and I, I think they're going to bounce back and and try to contain Kentucky's rushing attack. But as far as the offense, um, I, I just don't see it. Yeah. Well, the game against Kentucky is this Saturday, uh, October nineteenth at six thirty. Hopefully, LSU can bounce back from this unfortunate loss against Auburn, and hopefully get things right for the rest of the SAC. I want to say thank you to Reed Darcy for coming on. Appreciate you. Thanks, Nick. This was fun. I'm back on back on Tiger Talk. I mean, you're gonna have to start every semester that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome, All right thank man. you. So this past weekend, Auburn came into town, LSU was hosting the game, and tailgating was all over ca campus. With us now is Gabby Jimenez to talk more about what was going on around it. Hi, I'm Gabby. <laughs> and Gabby, you're new to LSU as well. I mean, I transferred here from Seattle. You just moved here from San Antonio. This is your first year freshman. 
as well? Yes, it was also my first time going to the tailgating events. Yeah. So how was it for you? I mean, what time did you show up there? I went there from 2 to um, kickoff. I was there basically all day, and it was incredible seeing all these people here, but they were there much longer than I was from 6, 7 a.m. <laughs> they were they were ready. They were there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, yes. sounds like. So, I mean, you were just talking to both students and just alumni as well? Yes. There were surprisingly, like, a lot of people who didn't even go to the school. They were just there with friends or family. Uh, we also talked to some people who were Auburn fans who were there with their LSU friends. So, yeah, this was an event for everyone. A little bit of everything going on. So, obviously, it was raining Saturday, lightning a little bit in the area as well. But, I mean, none of that stopped these people. Like you said, they were there at 6, 8 in the morning. I mean, how bad was it out there? It was super muddy. The rain never got too bad. It was some drizzle, but it was the mud that really got everyone. But these people, they did not care about that. They were dedicated. These people, they, everyone we talked to when we asked about the rain, they all said they were going to stick it out, even if they were in the middle of the parade ground. Awesome. And that's where you mostly hung out, just around the parade grounds? Um, we went to other spots. We went to the Life Science Annex, and there were surprisingly a lot of people in the quad. They were just everywhere on campus that they could set up. Yeah, I mean, I was walking around pregame as well. The quad is what shocked me the most. I mean, yeah. even underneath the art building, people were underneath there just getting away from the rain first off, but also having those electrical ports. That way they could actually watch the other games going yeah. on. And I think also in your piece, you were talking about generator setups. People were bringing their hurricane generators. Oh, yeah. These people had like full on flat screen TVs in their tents. And during the rain, they would just get trash bags to cover it up. They were dedicated. So as far as expectations go in the future, I mean, this is what we should expect for tailgating going forward on LSU. I definitely hope so. It was probably um, a more extravagant because it was the Auburn game. But these LSU fans are dedicated. I had a lot of people say that they come out for every game. Uh, people were coming 15 years straight. So when the pandemic hit, they were definitely um, sad to not be able to come out here. Yeah, especially. I mean, last year, one-year hiatus. Yeah. Parking lot's empty for the most part. These not people were ready fans. to be back. Ready to be back. And they showed out for it. Well, thank you again, Gabby, for stopping by. We appreciate you coming by. And you can keep checking out her work at the LSU Reveille. And you cover primarily just uh, facilities and student services. Facilities and student services. Awesome. Well, thank you, Gabby. Thank you for having me. If you're interested in following the LSU Reveille, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LSU Reveille. For KLSU Radio, you can find them on Instagram at KLSU FM and live on 91.1 FM.